Okay, so uh, this morning we continue on in our series uh, titled Gifted Unity. Uh, the sermon this morning is the final part of this mini-series within our bigger focus on First Corinthians. So next week we're going to start a completely different uh, mini-series within this lesson titled Big Topics. And that's going to run for three weeks. Uh, and over the course of those weeks we're going to look at big subject areas um, taken from the remaining part of First Corinthians 14 and the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15. So we're going to look at God's church, God's gospel, and God's grace. So that's going to cover the next three weeks uh, after today. Uh, last week, we spent time thinking about this, the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy, doctrinally. And this week, our focus is on the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy practically. Practically. How is it that we can practice these gifts in a manner that loves God and loves other people? How do we use these gifts in such a way that we ensure the outward practice of the spiritual gifts first and foremost are grounded in God's Word? How do we ensure that we practice these gifts in such a way that are grounded in God's Word? Because the reality is, if we're not practicing these gifts on the foundation of Scripture, we're wasting our time. Total waste of time. If we're not practicing these gifts in a way that's grounded in the Word of God. So I would encourage you, if you've not listened to last week's message, it will help you greatly as you listen to this week's message. And you can catch that on podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, our website, just a wee plug for us all. Uh, just a quick shout, shout out to Jeremy as well for putting all the content on uh, week by week. He's doing a great job with that. And just speaking to a number of people who've been blessed, both within the church and out with the church, so I'm really thankful for that. So just thanks, Jeremy, for, for doing all that. Um, with our focus on doctrine last week, and then practice this week, that pattern of doctrine and practice is very much a picture of what our Christian life should look like. So if we think about doctrine, who we understand God to be, who we understand God, who God has called us to be, that should be first and foremost in our life. And this then results in our day-to-day practice. So this morning, as I've already mentioned, we're going to take stock of what Paul is saying about the gifts of tongues and prophecy at this practical level, in light of what we looked at last week, doctrinally. And we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 14 and verses 20 to 33, the first part of verse 33. And we're going to jump over to verses 37 to 40. Sorry guys, we're not skipping the second part of verse 33 to 36, as much as I want to skip those verses. <laughs> uh, that'll be next week's message, okay? Um, so I'm reading from the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. The words are going to be up on the screen. So Paul writes this, starting in verse 20. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of our tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in tongues, then, is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together, and all are speaking in tongues, and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying, and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all, and is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. What then, brothers and sisters? 
Whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two, or at the most three, each in tongue, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to be silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. This is verse 37, 38. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything is to be done decently and in order. Amen. May God read of his word uh, this morning. So in life, if we're really honest this morning, there's always or can often be a significant disconnect between our knowledge and our practice. Um, We know what we should do. We know who we should be. And yet, when the rubber meets the road, we often find it difficult to follow through with actions that match our aspirations. Uh, And this was highlighted highlighted to me recently uh, in quite a comical way in the world of football. Uh, In fact, it was with Premier League footballers. These guys get paid millions every year. They train all week. They tactically prepare for the game. Sometimes it all goes to pot. They make a mistake. They lose the game. Sometimes they lose really badly. And then, in the aftermath of the game, normally the day after the loss, you'll get them posting to the fans on social media, saying something to the effect of, I'm really sorry about my performance, guys. It's not good enough. I'll come back stronger. On to the next game. Hashtag, only way is up. Fist emoji. (laughs) But then they'll lose again. The next week, some players will go on and do the previous post. They'll just copy and paste it. Really sorry, guys. On to the next game. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, And someone posted this this last week. And I just thought it was quite funny. Because it highlights how ridiculous professional footballers can be. Uh, And they basically said, it's up here. Imagine if everyone tweeted like a footballer. Disappointed with today's performance. Started off really tired. But picked up after morning coffee. Sent some good emails. Apologies to all the customers, I'll come back stronger. On to tomorrow, now we go again, hashtag 9 to 5. <laughs> so, quite rightly, in making a mockery of footballers here, uh, and in making a mockery of them, there's a bigger point to be taken in all of this. Because better than sending this groveling tweet after the game, why not, why not just sort out your performance in the midst of the game, during the game, so you don't need to send that tweet in the first place? And in the Christian life, you know, we're laughing about this, but in the Christian life, if we're really honest this morning, we do something similar. Um, we know who we are. We're His, children of the living God, redeemed, renewed, transformed, and loved. We know what we have, or who we have. Our relationship with God. Our relationship that's only ever possible because of His Son. A relationship that can never, ever be taken away from us. And we know how to live. If we have faith in Jesus today, we have the Holy Spirit living inside us. And he empowers us and leads us day after day. So get, get your head around the fact that the God of the universe, the one who created all that we see in our natural world, dwells inside you and I. That's an incredible truth. 
And we also know that if we are Christian today, that he is our counsellor. He is the one who leads us. He is the one who empowers us. He is the one who convicts us. He is the one who comforts us. He is the one who brings us joy. So this is all true. And yet, despite of all of this, when it comes to match day, when it comes to our day-to-day living, when we encounter those regular daily moments of choosing what it is or who it is we will prioritise, God or something or someone else, we so often fall short. We so often choose our flesh and sin over God and obedience. So what's going on in that moment? Why is it we fall short? One of the biggest things is that we fail to connect our doctrine with our practice. Our theological understanding of who God is and who we are and who we're called to be day to day fails to go from our head to our hearts to the daily practice of our lives. Paul says something really interesting to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 and verses 14 to 16. He says this, Don't neglect the gift that is in you. It was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Practice these gifts, be committed to them so that your progress may be evident to all. Verse 16 is key. Pay close attention to your life and your teaching. Persevere in these things, for in doing this you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, Paul says, don't just focus on what you know about God. I'm pretty certain that all of us have a correct understanding of God and how to live the Christian life. But Paul says, alongside this, alongside your knowledge, your doctrine, live a life that then reflects that knowledge and doctrine. One that worships God with all that you are. One that puts what you know to be true into practice day to day. And that's just a, a really important, big, general truth for every single one of us. And I share that this morning because as we think about the spiritual gifts, and in particular these gifts of tongues and prophecy, you may have a correct biblical understanding of what these gifts are all about and why it is that God has given us these gifts. But the challenge for you and I is this, to what extent, to what extent does your biblical knowledge of those gifts then move into biblical practice? To what extent is your conviction about these gifts a reflection of your Christian life and a reflection of the wider practice of the church that you're a part of? And that's not me saying that all of us ought to speak in tongues or all of us ought to prophesy. Far from it. We all have different gifts. God has granted to us a varied, diverse church. What it does mean is that as a church we hold healthy doctrine and healthy practice together. So there should be this sturdy, impenetrable bridge between doctrine and practice. So much so that our doctrine and practice in this church around tongues and prophecy is like us holding up a mirror to 1 Corinthians 14. People would see how it is we use these gifts, and they would say, oh, that's like 1 Corinthians 14, or that's like Acts, that's like the New Testament. These guys really do practice what they understand to be true. And I myself, I'm really challenged by this. Because in all honesty, I don't think I'm there yet. In terms of what I know to be true, in terms of my practice, I'm not there yet. I don't think we're there yet as a church family. In terms of healthy consistency between doctrine and practice. And particularly as we think about these gifts of tongues and prophecy. But my hope and prayer this morning is that we get our knowledge of these gifts right. What we looked at last week. The how and why of these gifts we would then, as a result, get our practice of these gifts right, the what of these gifts, what these gifts look like in ordinary Christian life, and what these gifts look like amongst an ordinary Christian 
body of believers called the church because we aren't extraordinary here we're an ordinary group of people who love the Lord and who want to live according to his commands so my hope and prayer is that our doctrine and practice would be deeply connected together in our passage this morning Paul wants, his, wants to maintain that healthy connection and he highlights what are, what are four key practical steps or four practical lessons that we need to have in order that together we might be able to live out these particular spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy in a way that's biblical in a manner that pleases God so let's just have a look together at the first lesson that Paul presents to Corinthians when it comes to the practice of these gifts this is quite a hefty point but it's, it's really really important we understand this if we don't understand this first point none of the rest of it will make any sense but there's a lot of digging for us to go through here so practical lesson number one Paul says this when it comes to these gifts be humble be humble verses 20 through to 22 humility is massively important for all of us in all aspects and all areas of the Christian life and I think one of the problems when it comes to the gift of tongues and prophecy as we so often lack humility. We're often not humble as we approach these gifts and as we look to un- understand them better. And we're certainly not humble when it comes to a response to those we might disagree with around these gifts. Paul's first lesson for us from his passage is him pointing to the fact that we need to carry humility. And humility has to be where we begin. It's our starting point. But humility is also our destination. It's where we're heading towards as we think about these gifts. We start with humility, we end with humility. And this is why Paul writes in verses 20 to 21 these words. So let's have a look at verse 20 and 21. He says, Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to this people by people of our tongues and by the lips of foreigners. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So we've a bit of our journey to go on this morning as we reach that bigger point of a need to be humble because there's a lot in this but it's important we look at this. We're all going to have to dig this morning for us to fully understand this. The first thing we notice in verse 20 is that Paul says something or Paul says two things that immediately appear to be contradictory. So Paul says don't be childish but be childish. He says, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil. Paul wants us to understand that these two seemingly contrasting statements are complementary rather than contradictory. And his big point here is that there's a right way and a wrong way when it comes to being childish in the faith. Not just childish in general, childish in the faith. The right way of being childish, according to Paul, is to be childish when it comes to evil. Paul is almost encouraging us to have a godly naivety when it comes to the ways and workings of sin in the world. And Jesus also speaks about this, about the importance of being childish too in Matthew 18 and verses 3 to 4. He says this and it will be up on the screen for us. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, he said, unless you turn and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So for Jesus, we should be childish in the sense that God has called us to be fully dependent, fully reliant upon Jesus for our every single need. I wonder if that's a picture of your life this morning. Are you fully reliant upon Christ for your every single need? 
In the same way that young children are fully reliant upon their parent or parents for all that they need. So we should have certain childish characteristics when it comes to our Christian walk in terms of this dependence. A childlike faith is to be immature in the ways and workings of sin and it also means we're fully reliant. So when Paul says that we shouldn't be childish immediately before this command to be childish, what he's saying here is that we shouldn't be infants or childlike when it comes to our thinking. So he says be childish, don't be childish. And when he's saying don't be childish, we shouldn't be childish when it comes to our thinking, when it comes to our understanding. And again, like every area of the Christian life, he wants us to think deeply about what it means to live for Jesus. To be adults and not children in your thinking is to have a full grasp of your theology and your practice in every area of the Christian life. So don't be childish and your thinking means have a firm grasp of doctrine and practice. And it's important to recognise this morning that Paul says this word in the context of tongues and prophecy. So he says, don't be childish in your thinking, be adults in your thinking, and tongues and prophecy are spoken both before and after this statement. So Paul wants us to come to terms of what these gifts are all about, to think deeply about these gifts, and he recognises this doesn't happen by accident. We don't just suddenly fall into a perfect insight of the doctrine and practice of tongues and prophecy or any other gift. It takes time. We need to prayerfully study the scriptures. We need to listen to the wider church. We need to gain as much insight as possible as to what these gifts are all about. Why is it God has given these gifts to the church? We think deeply about these gifts. All that to say, we need to act like grown-ups and not like little kids when it comes to our comprehension and practice of tongues and prophecy. And that takes humility. It takes humility. This is why Paul's insisting to be humble. It takes humility to recognise that perhaps you do not know what these gifts are all about. And it takes humility to look at these gifts in such a way that you long to discover the deeper theological roots that lie underneath them. So what you can't do in this passage is hear a sermon on this subject, maybe read a tweet, watch a YouTube video, and then think you have the whole, this whole subject nailed. That would not be humility. That would be pride. Paul is saying be adults in your thinking because he wants us to do a bit of excavation work, a bit of digging, and that takes theological study. It takes proper thinking, proper reflection. Most importantly, it takes humility. Are you still with me, guys? Yeah, he's good. Uh, Paul emphasises the importance of grown-up thinking here because there's a particular danger when it comes to tongues and prophecy. When we speak about these gifts, it can very easily flare up into a, I'm right, you're wrong, and here's why I'm right and you're wrong scenario. But Paul wants us to see that to think deeply on a subject is to think humbly on a subject. And that will show in how we respond to those we might disagree with around this particular subject of tongues and prophecy. So, big idea, don't be childish in your thinking. Be childish in, your, in the ways of sin, and particularly when it comes to tongues and prophecy. This is Paul's initial point here. And for that point to be a reality, you and I need spirit-empowered humility. But he doesn't end there. So that's his first point. He elaborates on this point even further. And in verse 21, Paul quotes Isaiah. And in particular, Isaiah 28 and verses 11 to 12. 
Uh, and he quotes it rather loosely, which the New Testament writers can do because it is the word of God. Um, but let's just take a moment to read what Isaiah says in Isaiah 28 and verses 11 to 12 when it will be up on the screen for us. Isaiah says this, and this is what Paul is, is quoting here. For he that is God will speak to this people with stammering speech and in a foreign language. He had said to them, this is a place of rest, let the weary rest. This is a place of repose, but they would not listen. So, <clears throat> what's going on here? When Isaiah speaks this word, what is actually happening? Well, Isaiah was being mocked by the false prophets of his day. And they said that his words were a bunch of nonsensical mumbo-jumbo. That's the Mark Morris interpretation. That's basically what they were saying. And Isaiah responds to this by saying that when God's judgment falls, it really will be nonsensical mumbo-jumbo for them. Because the invading army will speak in a language we do not understand. And when they hear this foreign language, this foreign language, this unknown language, will be a sign for them that God's judgment is upon them. So just like Genesis with Babel, their inability to understand was a sign of God's judgment. So also in Isaiah's day, when they heard the Assyrian army speak, and they weren't able to understand, this was a sign of the wrath and the judgment of God upon their lives. And Paul doesn't leave it there. He takes it even further. And what we see him do is connect this Isaiah quote in verse 21 with what he writes in verse 22. So we read this in verse 22. Speaking in tongues then is not for believers but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers but for believers. So Paul is saying here that this foreign unknown tongue in Isaiah's day was a sign of God's judgment to those that were unbelievers. They didn't know God, so they were under his judgment. And he's also saying by contrast, by contrast to this, that this prophetic word of Isaiah, when it was properly understood and applied, was a sign of God's grace to those who were believers, to those who responded to Isaiah's word correctly. So the unknown tongue was a symbol of God's judgment. The prophetic word was a symbol of God's grace. This is a contrast between tongues and prophecy. One's a symbol of judgment, one's a symbol of grace. So when tongues and prophecy exist in a public gathering today, Paul wants us to understand that these gifts carry a much bigger eschatological end times picture of what God is doing in the world. When we look at tongues and prophecy in their entirety, if we're looking at them from this bigger, broader theological perspective, tongues is a reminder of God's judgment towards unbelievers. And prophecy is a reminder of God's mercy towards believers. Tongues is a reminder of God's judgment. Prophecy is a reminder of God's mercy. Now that doesn't mean that the gift of tongues and prophecy, when practiced in the church, leads to direct judgment. If someone spoke in tongues, this is not God judging them through that person. Um, what it means is that we should be reminded through these gifts that we worship a God who will one day in the future judge the living and the dead. And we worship a God who will one day in the future show his abundant mercy to all of those who are his. So there's a lot in that I recognise. But just like this table symbolises the theological reality of Jesus' death, and resurrection, and the hope we have in Christ. And just like marriage, where a husband and wife are a picture of Christ and the church, so also tongues and prophecy are a picture of God's judgment and God's mercy. 
So there's so much depth to this. It's not just this, this kind of shallow spiritual gift. God is working underneath all of this and pointing towards this bigger picture. So when we understand these gifts in a bigger theological way, what's happening? We're thinking like adults. We're not thinking like children. And as we nurture that kind of grown-up thinking, we can't help but cultivate humility in our lives. The more and more we think deeply about subjects, the more we will be adults in our thinking, and the more we will cultivate a life of humility. So I recognise, that's just our first point, guys, sorry. (laughs) I recognise there's a lot in that first point, but hopefully that makes sense. Humility has to be the most important practical lesson for us when it comes to these gifts. And Paul continues... The second practical lesson he has for us is this. Be missional. Be missional. Verses 23 to 25. Paul says this. If therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will we not say that you are out of your minds? But if, if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed. And as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. So, as we've just seen, there's a difference in terms of what these gifts are pointing towards. God's judgment and God's mercy. But there's also a difference in terms of the practical outcome of these gifts when we gather together for worship. Hence, we need for us to be missionally aware as we think about these gifts on a gathered level when we do come together. So as we see from what Paul says here, an outsider, an unbeliever, will respond to tongues in a particular way and they will respond to prophecy in a completely different way. There's a difference between these gifts in terms of a missional impact. The impact in terms of them coming to a living knowledge of God. And it's here we see Paul making the point that prophecy is better than tongues. And that's really important for us to understand. Paul makes this point very clearly in this passage. Prophecy is better than tongues. In fact, more than that, he's making the point that prophecy is more important than tongues. Unbelievers are going to respond positively to prophecy in a way that tongues won't provide. So Don Carson highlights this in his book, Showing the Spirit. I'm just going to highlight this quote. He says this, Although prophecy serves as a sign to unbelievers, it also has more positive effect on unbelievers and does a gift of tongues. The unbeliever who, who comes in and overhears what is going on in the assembly and by that means is brought to recognition of need and to repentance and worship. The point is that even so far as outreach is concerned, tongues must take a back seat to prophecy. So, imagine for a moment you were sitting on a bus and two people sit in front of you <clears throat> and you listen to their conversation and you very quickly discover that one of them is giving counsel to, to the other one. Now, the counsel was not directed to you. You're overhearing all of this. But through it, you learn an important life lesson. And you actually apply that life lesson to all that you are and all that you're doing day to day. As a result of what you have heard from this conversation, you're a secondary recipient of the word that has been spoken. But quite possibly, you have benefited more to that word that was spoken than the person that was spoken to. Now imagine the same scenario. You're sitting on a bus, two people sit down, one gives counsel to the other, and they're both speaking Dutch. Now, as you overhear what's being said, and you don't speak Dutch, you're fully aware 
but you don't speak a single word of Dutch. And what benefit will that conversation be to you? You won't understand anything that's been said. It will just be a collection of noises and syllables. It will have zero impact upon your life. And this is what Paul's getting at when it comes to tongues and prophecy. There's a clear missional difference between these two gifts. Prophecy is more important than tongues because the spiritual gift of prophecy is a pathway for people to understand and know God in their lives, whether it's a believer or unbeliever. Quite simply, if you understand what's being said, and through that understanding, their lives are transformed. But when it comes to a worship gathering like this, tongues is different. Unless there's interpretation, tongues will create confusion, it will create uncertainty, it will create fear, because it's a strange gift, let's be honest, as I said last week, it's a strange gift, it sounds strange. Most importantly, it's an unintelligible gift. Believers, and most importantly, unbelievers, will walk away thinking, what was that all about? What was going on there? And some of us have experienced that in corporate gatherings where you've been to a service, someone has spoken tongues without interpretation, and you've walked away saying, what? What was that all about? That, that didn't make any sense. That just created confusion and uncertainty. It made the focus on that person rather than God. Now let me caveat this by making the point, when it comes to prophecy between believer and believer in the church, and the unbeliever directly benefiting, but there are examples of prophetic witness and evangelism together in the New Testament. So there are a number of examples in the Gospels and Acts where a prophetic word is spoken to the life of a person, and that person's life is transformed. That word is spoken from believer to unbeliever. However, Paul's focus here is a gathered worship times for believers. And when believers come together, the gift of prophecy exists to build believers up. And the gift of prophecy indirectly benefits unbelievers, maybe leading to their salvation. All that to say, the overarching question we need to ask about anything we do when it comes to this worship gathering as a church family on a Sunday is this. In what way, in what way is this going to benefit an unbeliever in their knowledge of God? Is it going to act as a bridge or is it going to act as a wall? If a non-believer walks away from a time together confused and discouraged, not because of God, but because of us, but because of something that we're doing, we can say with confidence that we failed in that moment. And within the framework of that bigger principle, Paul says, use prophecy, don't use uninterpreted tongues. See ya. Paul says this, Paul says this, because when we do that, we will be creating bridges, and we won't be creating walls for those who don't believe. So Paul says, use prophecy, don't use uninterpreted tongues, because this is the way that we create a bridge into the hearts and minds of those who don't know Jesus. So how amazing, how amazing would it be if someone's experience at Denison Baptist Church was such that they could echo verse 25, their testimony was this, have a look at verse 25, they could say, the secrets of my heart were revealed, I fell face down and worshipped God, I proclaimed God is really among you, because of the prophetic word that was given. They understood, and they responded in faith. So that's the second, second practical lesson, be missional. And the, the third practical lesson, as we think about the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy, is this, be orderly. 
be orderly. Verse 26 through to the first part of verse 33. Let's dig back into what Paul says here. He says this, What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two, or at the most three each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Two or three prophets should speak, and never should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. And the prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God is not a God, a God of disorder, but of peace. So let me just say three things about this emphasis from Paul on the need for each one of us to be orderly when it comes to our worship gatherings. And the first thing I would say is this. When you look at this section, verses 25 to 33, uh, 26 to 33, sorry, you could actually take the last part of verse 26 and the first part of verse 33 and you could have them in one sentence. So Paul says this, everything is to be done for building up, verse 26, and in verse 33, since God is not a God of disorder but of peace. So this is a litmus test for every single detail, every single element in a worship gathering. What we are doing, is it bringing encouragement or discouragement in the faith? Are we encouraging, are we blessing, or are we discouraging, are we confusing people in the faith? When people are built up in the faith, order will naturally flow out of our lives. And when this happens during a time of gathered worship, when we come together, and we find ourselves building one another up through worship, through the word, through prayer, through fellowship, there's an undeniable sense of order, of togetherness, because the Spirit is working, and the Spirit is leading, according to the Spirit's plan and purpose for this time together. That's the first thing I would highlight. And secondly, it's important we recognise that this idea of being orderly in the church, which is what Paul is speaking of here in this passage, is not you outright rejecting certain gifts from God. So being orderly is having the wisdom to know when it is we should use the very gifts that God has given us. And the danger is, we can hear this bigger message of the need to be orderly. And at the same time, we can see the confusion that tongues can cause in a public worship gathering. All of which results in us outright rejecting the gift of tongues from our lives and from the life of the church. And it might even lead you to saying something like this. If tongues doesn't have an interpretation in a public gathering, what's the whole point in tongues? Why do we have tongues if tongues doesn't have an interpretation in a public gathering? We can outright reject this gift completely. But Paul wants us to understand in this section that the gather times of worship is not the only context when we use the gift of tongues. It's really important. Tongues is not just used in a gather time of worship. So have a look at last week's passage, and in particular what we read in 1 Corinthians 14.2, verse 2, Paul says this, For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. And what we see from this is that the gift of tongues is a personal prayer language to God. So it's a means of us individually connecting to God. We're expressing in our heart, what we find difficult to express with the limitations of our own language. And if this is expressed in a public gathering with an interpretation, 
it becomes a blessing to other people because it's clearly communicated. So I find what John Piper says on this gift really helpful. Really helpful. He says this as he speaks about the gift of tongues. A kind of utterance. Tongues is a kind of utterance where your heart is filled to the point of overflowing with the Holy Spirit. He loses your tongue to utter those syllables and they are of spiritual value to you. And if there is someone with an interpretation, then they become spiritually valuable to others. So understand this morning that there are people in this room who pray in tongues. There are people in this room who pray in tongues. Now, they don't pray in tongues here. They would need an interpretation for that. They do, however, pray in tongues in private. And in doing that, they're following the command of Paul here in verse 28. Paul says in verse 28, if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Clear indication that tongues can be used in private. So that's the second thing I just want to highlight. It's important we just have a, a firm grasp of both these gifts, in particular the gift of tongues here. And thirdly, the content of these verses is pretty clear and deeply practical when it comes to what it looks like to be orderly in a gathered time of worship using these particular gifts. So Paul actually gives particular instructions around how it is we should practice the gift of tongues and prophecy. So when it comes to the gift of tongues, I just want you to, to open your Bibles and have a look at this section. Let's just have a look. It'll be up on the screen as well. Let's just have a look at what Paul says in terms of the practical instruction. So verse 27, <coughs> Paul says that no more than three people should speak in a tongue and they should each take their turn and if they do speak, someone has to interpret. What we've looked at already. Verse 28, if there's no interpreter of the tongue, that doesn't mean they're not using that gift properly. It just means they should use that gift privately. And when it comes to the gift of prophecy, let's understand what Paul says here practically when it comes to prophecy. Verse 29, again, two or three should speak and the church should examine and test what is spoken. Verse 30, if someone else has something revealed to them as a person is speaking, the speaker should be silent and the second person, the second person should then speak. And that's an important point for us because Paul is protecting individuals within the life of the church from babbling on, just going on and on with a prophecy and it doesn't give other people the chance to speak. So Paul has this in place because he wants to make sure that two or three have the opportunity to be concise and direct in terms of what we say. In verse 31, prophecy should be done one by one so that there aren't competing voices and everyone has a chance to learn and grow. And finally, verse 32, Paul wants us to understand that prophecy should be very normal. It's a very normal practice. It's not this, it doesn't necessarily need to, and often it's not this supernatural moment where someone just has this amazing vision of, of what God is saying to him. Often it's just this inkling of a heart and a sense. God has placed this in my heart to share with you and test it and see if it's right. When someone prophesies, they have full and complete control of themselves as God leads them to express what he has put in their heart. So that's it, the third lesson. There's one more lesson. We're getting there, guys. Practical lesson number four. Be eager. Be eager. Verses 37 to 40. So let's have a look at what Paul says in this final section. And it's very much a summary of what he's spoken about already. He says in verse 37, If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should recognise that what I write to you is the Lord's command. If anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. 
And do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. So Paul wants the Corinthians to understand that this is not just a collection of various ideas that he's compiled together. No, this is verse 37. This is the Lord's command. The Lord's command. And to reject these words is to reject something of God himself. And as we close, I just, I just want us to take weight of what Paul is saying here for our own lives and for the church. We need to take these words seriously. God has spoken through Paul in these gifts. And are we really willing to take hold of what is being said? Are we willing to respond with obedience to what he says around these gifts? You know, we can't just look at these difficult passages like the ones we looked at today blame them away because we're worried about what other people might think because we're worried or we're more focused on our tradition or our own personal preference. We must do as Paul says here, verse 37, we should recognise that what Paul says here is the Lord's command. So these are perfect gifts given to imperfect people and God has a clear plan for how as we can use these gifts within a corporate gathering of worship in a manner that builds up and strengthens and equips. And we will know the gift of tongues and prophecy are building us up because we won't see them as a burden, they'll become a blessing to us as a church family, both on an individual basis and on a gathered basis. Does that mean that every time we gather together, these gifts have to be on display? Is that what it means? I don't think it does. But as Paul says in verse 39, we should be eager to prophesy and we should not forbid speaking in tongues. We should be hungry for everything that God has given to us to live this Christian life. Because to be open and eager to these gifts is to be open and eager to God himself. So I would encourage you in your devotional time, day to day we, we have this opportunity to, to spend time with God. In your devotional time, ask God for these gifts. Pray and ask that, that he would grant you these gifts and all the gifts that he might have for you with open hands of expectation that God might bless you in this way. Sam Storms says this, in his book, Practicing the Power, he says, The hungry eh, are those who are filled. I think it's the next quote, Jane. The hungry are those who are filled. The thirsty are those who are given drink. Those who ask and seek and knock are those to whom the door is opened. Can God set aside this principle and grant gifts, irrespective of our theological beliefs about their validity, irrespective of our disobedience and praying for them? Of course he can. And this has likely happened countless times throughout the history of the church. But these special mercies of God, working sovereignly to bless his people, do not cancel out the responsibility we have. We cannot expect God to do things for us if we ignore the commands he gives us related to their impartation. Even though we believe he can, we should never expect God to do for us, apart from prayer, what he has promised in his word to do for us only through prayer. Prayer plays a massive part in these gifts. We need to ask and believe that we will receive. Does that mean that if we don't ask, God won't give us these gifts? Absolutely not. His sovereignty, and in his grace, he might do that. But we have a responsibility to ask. Fully aware that God is in control and he is sovereign. Still okay, guys? So a lot in that. It's probably my longest ever sermon. So, uh, as we close, we just want to create space for you to respond uh, in prayer. Uh, we need God's word to drive us to that place where we come to him. 
So as we spend time looking at God's word, may it be a, a driving force, may it push us to that place of prayer. Um, I would just say, as we close uh, this morning, um, if you have yet to make that step of putting Jesus first in your life, if you're watching online, if you're here, do not miss out on this opportunity. We believe in the God who saves. And He has. we have opportunity this morning to, to think through that and for us to pray for you that you might know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. Or maybe there's a situation or circumstance that you're facing right now. It seems overwhelming. You would like prayer uh, for that. And do speak to myself, to Paul or to TJ, or to someone you know and trust who would be open to praying for you that you may experience grace in the midst of a challenge. And we also invite you this morning to receive prayer for healing. We, again, I say this every week, we do believe in a God who can heal and who does heal. So if you have an illness or ailment or pain, however big or small it may be, let us know. We will create space uh, to, pray for you, to pray for you this morning. Uh, and maybe you would just like prayer to receive the gifts, to have wisdom in terms of the gifts that God has given to you. Again, come forward and, and speak to us about that. Uh, and we would pray for you that you would receive all that God would want for you. Um, as we worship, we respond by coming to this table. So as we sing together, there will be opportunity to come to this table and to respond. And as we do that, we recognise that this is all about Jesus. As we think about the gifts, both at a, a doctrinal practical level, the bigger truth is that Jesus loves us and he cares for us and he has blessed us abundantly in so many ways. And the greatest blessing we have is our salvation. So we come to this table and we say, thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross for me. Thank you for your body that was given to me. Thank you for your blood that was shed for me. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. And in the same way he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So we take this bread, we drink this cup, we thank Jesus for who he is and we thank Jesus for all that he has given to us, including all our gifts. So let's pray together as we now respond in worship. Father, we, we thank you for this time and we thank you that, that you have led this time and we pray, Lord, that as we have heard what your word says, we would respond in faith and we would have the courage and confidence to ask for the gifts, that we would be eager to prophesy, we would be open to that gift in our lives. And we would be eager to receive all the gifts, all that you would want to give to us, so that we become stronger men and women. We would become men and women of faith and not of the world. Would you bless us as we go from here and as we respond in faith and all the different opportunities we have to obey you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.